0: My argument is we're spending a lot of money on this, but relatively we're not, We've, we can agree on that, but it's still a lot of money for something that people might not see the benefit straight away of. Are you playing devil's advocate here or something? So earlier this year, as we do with all our podcasts, we did the predictions, right? Mm -hmm. And I made a prediction that the James Webb Space Telescope would effectively find life on an exoplanet. And (laughs) while I wasn't correct about this, some people might know this listening, but back in September on a planet about 50 light years away called, I believe, K218b, they did a spectrometer reading on the atmosphere and they found that there was hydrogen, methane, CO2 and low amounts of ammonia, but even smaller amounts of a compound known as dimethyl sulfide, which back here on Earth, is only produced by phytoplankton, by mycobacteria. So while it doesn't prove the existence of life outside, we're damn close.
1: Yeah, well, I'll back up this uh, bit of interesting fact. So they say, how big is the explorable galaxy and how much have we explored? So imagine we look at what we can visibly see in outer space as, if you can make it out of a metric as the ocean. How big is the ocean, right? Yeah. If you make the ocean uh, an equivalent to how big this, the universe is, say, so how much have we explored? One 12 ounce glass. <laughs> that is how much of the ocean we've explored if the ocean was space. Yeah. So if you were to say, Is there fish in the ocean? and you pick up one glass of water and go, No, there's no fish in there. That yeah. is that is the way people are saying there's no space because we can't see it yet. Well, you've only checked a glass. Yeah. You've only checked one little glass I mean, of I'll, water.
0: I'll challenge everyone now to go to the beach. If you live close to a beach, get a glass of water, pick it up. If you pull up a fish, if you pull up you'd box. probably find something
1: yeah. living in it, but it would be you'd look bacteria, real close. Yeah, yeah. yeah put yeah. It under a
0: microscope. But yeah. we're not in the microscope today. We're in no. the very large microscope. So while we're not talking about life on other planets, we are talking about space, right? Oh, again, I, again, and again.
1: This has been. I mean, I've linked Starfield recently. For those who don't know, Starfield is the latest game by Bethesda. It is their new version of a Skyrim-esque. Um, a new world to it, I've been loving it. I love the idea of bouncing around between Alpha Centauri and Tau Tau Ceti, all these different solar systems. It's really good fun, Um, but it's very interesting because of how that universe started draws parallels to what's currently going on. And what's currently going on, and I'm just gonna claim it now, we are in the second space race of human society. And this is one that will not determine who has a better economy, like it did with the US and the Russians. This will determine how, as a colony, as a species, we will go out amongst the stars. This space race is so critical.
0: So effectively saying that we will be able to expand or not, like if, if, if one person wins a space race, they have all grounds to expand, and they will not let the other.
1: Yes, expand. pretty much. So the the current space race, just to clarify, Artemis missions going by the U.S. is their version of their entry to the space race. The other ones, are, the other real competitor here is China. They're a conglomerate with Russia, Turkey, Iran, Pakistan, and Malaysia, I believe. Um, I mean, in two thousand and three September, the current administrator of NASA, Bill Nelson, claimed U.S. is in a space race with China. Effectively, what both nations and both groups are trying to do is get to the bottom, the lower south pole of the moon, because they found frozen water. Now, if you can capture that frozen water, that territory, you then have fuel that you can generate in outer space. As we'll describe with the spaceships in a little bit, most of the fuel in spaceships is in the stage one to get you into outer orbit once you're out of orbit, there's nothing slowing you down. There's realistically no atmosphere to slow you down. So a little push in any direction will get you there. Yeah. So once you break an orbit, you don't need much fuel. So if you can get a spaceship in outer space and then refuel, you can make this spaceship go Anywhere.
0: Well, that's right. And once you get it to the moon, the moon has a much lower escape velocity than Earth, too. So you're talking getting out of Earth's orbit but landing on the moon and getting back off the moon. Much
1: well. easier. And so then you can go to Mars. You can go st- travel around the solar system. You could potentially bounce another one. But that is a huge checkpoint. And I think the concern is right now that China, in their way of capturing territory that might not be theirs, so I'm not going to get into the conflicted areas, they might do that with the south moon and block everyone from going out of space unless they go with them.
0: I mean, their missions are very similar, right? They've got the Chang's Lunar Programs that's Mm -hmm. going right now. So that's, you know, in a way to get robots onto the moon, very similar to what NASA's trying to do in SpaceX. They've got the Tianwen-1 Mars mission. So, you know, they're trying to get to Mars as well. So a lot of the things they're doing and a lot of the technologies, like reusable rockets, it's mirroring what, what the US is doing, but we just have... Less access to the information. Well, out yeah. There. So
1: the, I guess the part of this podcast to start is the Chinese space program is incredibly confidential. But that being said, they built a space program and an actual satellite uh, one fifth the time they built the ISS. It is smaller, but they built it and no one knew about it. They did spacewalks. They they landed um, things on the on the moon. Just didn't tell anyone. These are huge checkpoints for spacefaring. Yeah. Um, and but the US one, which is kind of the gold standard and currently leading the space race. Um, that is very, very transparent because it has 169 corporations and countries that work with NASA A lot to of get that investment. Yeah. yeah, and so they are very clear of what they're doing. A lot of commercial interest these days, um, and their missions with SpaceX are very, very cool. And yeah. I am very excited to see what they're doing. So we did some research into the, the current space race and who's currently going. I mean right now we're recording this in december there are three lunar modules expected to land on the moon in january 2024 within a few days of each other yeah incredible just amazing what they've done here
0: absolutely um and i mean look we'll come back to the space race because i I do want to
1: we'll come back to the geopolitics of it but i really do want to talk about like the actual rockets that we know of and the, the falcon program and the starship program and the ISS and Artemis programs are so cool, and I don't think people have been keeping a track of that because there's been so many landings and flights. There is a lot
0: going on. And every like,
1: billionaire's got a space program these days. I
0: mean, it's almost on the news every day, right? I think the most recent one, which happened on December 6th, was the most like, you know, um, most recent space launch using the Falcon Nine, and I just saw mm-hmm. it, and I'm like, I'm seeing a lot right now. Let's get a podcast out on it, so. Mm-hmm. Firstly, what is the Falcon nine? The Falcon nine is a reusable two stage rocket designed and manufactured by SpaceX, seventy meters high, and it's three point five seven meters in diameter. It has a mass of five hundred and fifty thousand kilograms. This thing is pretty big. Yeah. Um but the significance so What's happened recently is on December 6th, they sent 23 Starlink satellites into orbit. It's the 90th Falcon launch for for this year for SpaceX. And a couple of milestones to to say it. So there's been about 280 launches total. I don't know if that's the exact number, but around that mark.
1: Yeah, so as of two days ago, it has been 281 Falcon 9 flights uh, to date.
0: Yeah. 100 within the year 100 space launches in a year so the milestone here is that SpaceX have set a record breaking pace like this is this is a they have broken a record and mm. then some it's not just oh we've we've just scraped the surface it's a, and then some for the whole entire year yeah Uh, deployment of more Starlink satellites has been like their main objective get as many satellites in there as they can um you know expanding the internet constellation providing high-speed internet especially in like hard to access areas in Mm -hmm. those more rural urban areas which i think is absolutely brilliant
1: yeah it's easier Um, than wiring to like the middle of timbuktu honestly
0: (laughs) yeah um and then lastly the advancement of reusable technology so that's like i said it's a you know the first stage landed Back on Earth successfully. So, yeah. when I mean first stage, it's like once you get to a certain part in orbit, part like the first set of stage breaks off and then lands back. When historically, what happened is it would just go into the ocean or.
1: It would crash, know. or even when it crashed, it would suffer so much damage you couldn't reuse it. It just became scrap metal. Um, and so they got it out of the water just because it's a hazard, yeah. but they, they would do it and just throw it into the trash. This is a hundred and oh, like 250 million US dollar spacecraft that's just trash now. And then they just turned into a 90 million dollar reusable rocket oh my god it's
0: it's it's super sexy right because you're talking and i'll talk more about it but the fact that you can now reuse something that's so expensive you don't have to Mm -hmm. worry about okay every time we need a new mission we've got to construct and develop something test and prove that it's safe to send in there so you're not just reducing the cost of the raw material and the material to build it you're actually reducing the time it takes to you know, stabilize for that mission. You're like, yeah. that's being tested. It's maybe doing a maintenance check when it lands and make sure it's still stable. Oh, there's,
1: there's, sorry, there's a lot to go into rocketry. Like when they say this isn't rocket science, this is, this is, this this rocket, is rocket science. science. To, um, to manage like what a rocket is, is incredible. To manage heat loss, to manage the containment of liquid oxygen as well as fuel at high pressures yeah. and temperatures, to have it onto a platform that moves at several thousand kilometers a second yeah rocket science
0: <laughs> it's oh, terrifying yeah. now that you mentioned like liquid oxygen and fuel let's go into how this thing works right so mm-hmm. it uses something called a merlin engine, and it's actually got nine of these things so when you look at it you've got eight that surround like the bottom part and you've got one that's in the middle and a fun fact these were first used in world war ii for like bombers and um different fighter aircrafts and whatnot so this 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 like,
1: it might not be the same
0: engine i think it's the same design same, engine. same design exactly yeah. right and the way it works is it's got two sort of chambers where you've got um, your air mixture. So, in in the case for the spacecraft, it's liquid oxygen, mm-hmm. and then you've got what's called um, Rb one kerosene, um, which is an interesting fuel because it can actually be produced, they reckon, in the future from renewable sources. But that's a separate conversation. Yeah. Um, but effectively, what happens is is propellant is burned in a gas generator, and the resultant hot air is used to power the engine's pumps. Um, and then you've got a turbo pump which feeds the liquid oxygen and fuel into a combustion chamber. So at this yeah. point, you know, very similar to how a car's combustion chamber works, but on a much larger scale. And uh, a lot more complexes go into it. But if you're explaining okay, to her... as someone who
1: who's did a little bit of mechanical studying, I know that's not true, but...
0: <laughs> I mean, when you think of a car right? it's just an air mixture with fuel and it blows up. This is yeah. a lot more complicated, but... Yeah, it's still,
1: you're trying to harness the thrust... Like the yeah, actual push correct. of the resulting gases. The yeah. idea behind spacecraft is that in outer space, there's nothing to push off. Like if you're running on the ground, you push off the ground, right? A car rolls its tires on yeah. the ground. In outer space, there's nothing to push off. You need to make something to push off. So yeah. what they do is it creates hot
0: gases that it pushes that out. That's out, that's outside the engine. Like that, that's out once you've actually produced the yeah, exhaust but stuff, the but Yeah, But that's
1: The whole point of a, a space engine is to create something you push out, whereas yeah. a normal
0: car engine is to create pressure inside Correct. an engine yeah. to, turn to turn the piston the pistons and yeah. whatnot yeah but what i found interesting about this particular engine is it has a pre-burner in it and that pre-burner is then what's used to spin the turbine to, mm. to spin like the so it's just spin like so it's got turbo <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly right but it's chicken and egg right you think okay how can a pre burner if i need to first combust the gases how mm. do i actually then get the combustion the pre-burner right i've got to yeah. get some sort of a combustion if the pre-burner is required and i didn't know this but it uses a very specific chemical and i've practiced saying the name try ethyl aluminium try ethyl and you go what the fuck is that i don't know what that that is is, that is just a chemical they use very small amounts of it that will ignite instantly as soon as it's mixed with a little bit of oxygen like instantaneously seems incredibly volatile and just very dangerous to have around the kids yeah, I mean I, would, <laughs> I'd probably, I mean, I wouldn't use it for my barbecue or like the uh, marshmallow I mean, fire or whatever. Yeah, that's
1: but. a different kind of barbecue than we're used to. I mean, we can try it one day, but uh, for the minute, I like my eyebrows the way they are.
0: Yeah, and that's that's effectively like the way they operate this thing. It's uh, not simple at all. Like I, I, my brain wants to go, that's, it's as simple as that, but you, you can't break
1: I mean, it. I mean, even in the simplest form, it's incredibly complex. Yeah. To have something that exposed to air blows up like lithium um as a fuel source yeah
0: very volatile yeah okay so how does this thing actually land back on earth as well so the first stage of the falcon 9 is equipped with four landing legs it's made of carbon fiber with aluminium honeycomb so as we know carbon fiber is extremely strong and they're placed symmetrically around the base of the rocket the inner stage which is the part between stage one and stage two um houses the pneumatic pushes. so Previously, okay slow, slow down even i'm getting lost here slow down a little bit <laughs> so in the past they used to use like explosive charges to to, do, to separate to, to separate the, yeah but now they use so pneumatic pushes is just like compressed air to oh okay separate yeah. it, which is like i found very interesting and it sort of like was a bit weird like why haven't they done this in the past you know what i mean like mm. instead of pneumatics have been around for a long time yeah explosive explosions is going to create it's a breeze, it's yep. risky it's not safe so it can
1: yeah it could break the integrity of certain systems that you have that you need to rely on yeah yeah i totally get why but it's probably it's the cost thing they went oh it's just cheaper to, to blow it apart than it is to separate it because they never expected to reuse these things yeah it, it's the framing of the objective has changed the design completely
0: yeah well i mean do you know how these things actually land back onto earth
1: yeah, so they they retrofire the the rockets. So the rockets, uh, obviously, as you see them take off, they push off the ground, they exhaust the gases, and they go out into outer space. Now, this rocket is traveling very fast. Uh, kind of like on a horizontal plane. So it's it's going in the direction of like the equator, let's say. Yeah. It's kind of looking like a plane at this point. So the way it'll work is it'll kind of cruise down and it'll turn backwards and begin firing. Now, once it begins firing, it loses speed in the horizontal axis. And so it's freefall, which is described as that freefall in gravity where you don't actually feel gravity in outer space in the ISS. Those people don't feel it. They're actually traveling at like 30,000 kilometers a second or something stupid, Very right? Fast, Not actually yeah. that value to clarify. Um they Effectively, what they're doing is they're falling so fast, they're falling and they're missing the planet. Yeah. And so what this rocket will do is it's currently falling and missing the planet. It then slows itself down, so it'll fall and hit the planet. What the mathematics does, and this is wild to me, is it'll fall and miss the planet at an exact spot yep. and return. And if you've ever watched the video, my God, I've never felt such a hard-on for science, but watching two rockets...
0: It looks like it's from a
1: movie, two, yeah. Two hundred, like... 510 kilo rockets to retrofire and to land perfectly in the exact spot, within like meters of their intended targets,
0: at the same time. Yeah. On the other side of the planet. Ha! Huh. Oh my god. It it almost seems like something that's like been faked right but it just definitely has not there's been no faked. way you can you can, you can, you can literally
1: yeah. see this 500 ton yeah. rocket coming down and landing
0: and just sitting perfectly yeah. like this, a little, this shit oh. this shit is 100 percent real oh um, man yeah so, so what, what what you explain 100 percent right it sort of does a loop and then it comes back down so it utilizes these things called grid fins right and it allows sort of like orientation mm. um against the pressures and all that sort of stuff so that, that's pr- practically like the first stage and then I'll finish with the second stage and then we can go into the more exciting stuff because I really want to like talk about how this thing mm. is built. Um, so then you got something that's, known as I, this took me a while to get my head around a single Merlin vacuum engine and that's what is to deliver the payload to a desired orbit now a payload in spaceship terms is yeah. just cargo just right? cargo well, it could be people could be
1: anything, anything. so like, it's just something so payload is yeah payload is the general general term usually measured in kilos
0: yeah there, there are so many terms that they use on spacecraft I'm like just just use normal words but I understand why they do
1: yeah I mean like, like, like stage one thrust outer atmosphere thrust LEO which is low earth orbit MEO mars or moon orbit depending on which which mission you're talking about um yeah it's, it is there's so much to it i mean you need a consultant just to explain the glossary i actually have a glossary written on my notes yeah. just
0: what to talk about here and i mean that's all the boring stuff on the rocket and it's kind of why i tried to rush that's short i'm sorry stuff. to the audience that like i just powered yeah. through that let's talk about the significance so like we talked about the reusability of it like there's only so much you can you know fathom with that but there's also mm. the payload capacity right Good, we got payload out of the way that it can carry up to twenty-two thousand eight hundred kilograms to lower for but this thing is extremely versatile right so it's suitable for like a wide range of missions mm. a right range of things you're trying to do and there's a, a few launches coming up
1: yeah so the the falcon so the one you're talking about is the falcon 9 which is the v1.2 which is also known as the full thrust yep. it was effectively the last v9 before they went to the the falcon heavy yep. now that one was the first one to actually claim it could take Payloads to Mars, and yep. it could take four tons to Mars. Speaking of these payloads, I really want to go through very, very quickly. I've got a list of every single Falcon rocket and its payload. Okay. And so, and this is all talking in low Earth orbit. So, payload is how much you can get to, say, the ISS. Okay. Sure. Or just just below the ISS. So that's higher orbit. So Falcon One, which was the first one built in 2006, had was weighing 26 tons. Um, the reason it's called Falcon 1 is because it had one Merlin engine. Um, And then the Falcon 9 has nine. So it didn't actually go one, two, three, four, five. It just went one, five, nine. Um, So that one could carry 180 kilos into uh, kilos. 180 kilos of payload. So it could carry one... And a half Australians more or less oh, in yeah. outer space. If it were, they had nothing on them and no spacesuit, which is probably not recommended for space flight, um, they went to space uh, Falcon Five, so five engines. They were going to use that as kind of a, a midway step to increase the reliability. It was going to the reason they chose five is because it had a thing called true engine reliability. So if they lost an engine during flight, it could still finish the mission. Oh, okay, it could so deal with four
0: redundancy, yeah. But they went,
1: nah, fuck it, let's go hard. So they went to Falcon Nine, which is the V one. So that was three hundred thirty three tons, and it could take. tons into space right then falcon 9 3.1 could take was 505 tons it could take 13.2 tons Mm -hmm. falcon 9 1.3 for us the one that you're talking about can take 22.8 tons yeah and then the big one which is falcon Falcon heavy heavy. that can take 63.8 tons three times the previous payload of the same rocket class yeah
0: Wild. I mean, Falcon Heavy, I mean, you'd probably be using that for more low-Earth low Earth orbit stuff, right? Because you're, you're talking about heavier payloads, it's harder to get um, into space, right? So that's well, where yes, it would benefit.
1: Yes and no. So, for example, Falcon 9 full thrust, the V1.2, that was, that could take 22 tons into outer space. Yeah. Um, And then Falcon Heavy can take 63 tons into low-Earth orbit. So yeah. th- about a one, 3 to 1 ratio, right? but it can take a four to one ratio to Mars. Yeah. So it could be, it could take a lot more to Mars. It can take 17 tons to Mars. With 17 tons, that's that's a small hub. That's a hap right there. That's yeah. a habitat that you could
0: then start and you just keep building onto it. The same way they built the ISS. And that's only in one launch, right? That's you, when, in one w- launch. Once you start doing them progressively, you're talking about 17 tons of launch. You can shift some <laughs> fucking units. Yeah, <laughs> can, it's big. So that's that's there. heavy. And that's not even the last spaceship. We'll get into that one later. Yeah. And I want to mention the reliability of this thing. Ninety nine percent of its launches, of, yeah. of, of over two hundred launches, have been successful. Yeah, that success rate is.
1: I, I think it's the most successful rocket ever to build. Both the number of launches and number of returns, and yeah, number of successful missions. It's crazy. And they, it's the main carrier of the Starlink, and they need to get like I think like forty two thousand Starlink satellites
0: out. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty pretty damn so, reliable, and like I think we're talking about our most probably. This is in my opinion, so purely opinion only. The most important advancement in technology um, in the world right now mm. is 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 this because what we're doing is paving the way for like advanced sort of avionics and um, autonomy in the space industry, right? But what we've seen historically is these explorations in space are having like a knock on effect back to what we're using on Earth, and I, I will get back into those things mm. later because there's a lot of them, and I don't want to like veer off. Um, But let's talk about some of the advancements over the previous rocket. So like, as I discussed, no longer need to discard the rocket, no space debris or less space debris. It's just beautiful, right? Like it's, uh, um, I mentioned before the RB1 sort of kerosene they're using in the Merlin engines can be produced from renewable sources in the future. Stage separation using pneumatics to summarize using air and then stage recovery is done as a means to maneuver and land back on earth rather than being burnt up upon re-entry. That's to summarize everything we've just discussed on the Falcon 9 rocket, but there is a lot more uh, that we're not going to get into. Well, I
1: think the one that we do need to touch on is Starship because that is is the bleeding edge of rocket design.
0: You've brought in a different base that I'm keen to hear about.
1: So Falcon Heavy is part of the Falcon 9 series. It's got the Falcon 9 main payload, as well as two additional Falcon 9s to carry it to outer space. So the first one that went out was the one that took Elon Musk's car. We all know that one. But yeah. that was the Falcon Heavy. That was a proof of concept. They can do it. It costs $150 million to launch, and then $90 million for reuse. And those things like re- are quite reliable. They just don't need that much payload. But it's good to have that capacity for them. Starship is a different beast. So... Falcon Heavy, which is, at the time, the most powerful payload-carrying rocket ship could take 63 tons. Starship's predicted to be 100,000 tons. What the fuck? Oh, sorry, 100,000 kilos. 100,000 kilos. Sorry, 100 tons. 100 tons okay. of payload into outer space. And, and so it's the, it's the first time they step away from the Merlin engines, and they go to Raptor engines. In Stage 1, 33 Raptor engines. 33 of these bad boys. Compared to 9... Merlin engines.
0: And like, what's a what's a Raptor engine versus a Merlin engine? I couldn't
1: tell you on the difference between the sets. I mean, the, the technology is theoretically the same, but it's probably just a more advanced, more nuanced yeah. engine for okay. them. In the stage one, it has 33. So overall, it's 36 in both stage one and stage two. Yeah. And like, the target is they build 100 starships and they will cost 10 million US to launch each starship.
0: Yeah. And like, that sounds like a lot of money, but relative to. The average cost of a spaceship—I was going to say starship. Yeah. <laughs> the average cost of a spaceship is probably very, very low. I couldn't even tell you how much a spaceship costed.
1: Well, they said the Falcon, the Falcon program for the first nine, the Falcon nine, um, it costs it costs four hundred and fifty million to produce and launch. Yeah. And they said NASA was like, "That's a third of what we were going to do it for," a third. That's I mean cheap, and then was like a then it's 150 million to launch yeah. after that point. So
0: like what what was this, what was the analogy you were you were
1: saying to me about? This? Yeah. So about? this is um I keep seeing this my, on my social medias. It's Neil deGrasse Tyson, so you can quote him on this one. But Neil deGrasse Tyson says, uh, the U.S. the budget for NASA is like a several like I don't know like 50 billion or something. Okay. Yeah. And he said that's a lot of money. Imagine if we spent on healthcare. Imagine we spent that on this or that. And he goes, okay, let's let's imagine a tax dollar for every tax dollar you spend how much do you reckon the NASA budget is of this tax dollar? And I asked James this before the podcast, and he said it's about 40%, oh, that's which that's I, know stupidly I know is true. I, yeah. I, I know, I know, But at the time, we're like, okay, well, it kind of proves the point that they think NASA's budget's overinflated, yeah. right? It is 0.4% yeah. of rule. the US budget. It's zero. It's 0.4% of a dollar. Yeah. So if, if they, in Neil deGrasse Tyson's metaphor, which I really like is, if you look at a US dollar, the amount of budget that you would cut off for NASA would not get you to the ink of the actual note. That's how small that budget is. And NASA has been an absolute herald of technology. Aluminium, um, like certain, uh, the cochlear devices, sight, uh, radar, x-ray, all these things came during the space race and during their contributions. Today, we're still seeing advancements from NASA and we're doing it at 0.4% of the US budget. God yeah. damn
0: it! This uh, is we should be throwing so much more money at this. A lot more, yeah, because like it, it's it's been it's like the frontier of of technology to come. Mm. This and obviously previous wars have frontiered so much technology. Oh that- yeah, I mean they say like in terms of research
1: and development, space space is like the clear winner because it's the next frontier. Every dollar you put into research is four dollars back you get in your economy. Yeah, because you get technology that has absolutely accelerated your understanding, power tools. Were developed by NASA. Yeah, fucking power tools because they needed something that didn't plug in on the outside of a space station. You couldn't run a wire in the ISS. So every single trader that uses power lithium-ion tools in like today, yeah. but then say that NASA is not worth it. You go plug your tools into a fucking socket. I'm so I, mad at that. I mean,
0: one. I feel like there needs to be a saying for this, right? But you won't build something unless you have a good enough reason to make it so right. And I remember in the podcast we had with um Glenn down in down at the um.
1: Deep oh Space God, Observatory. We are so talking
0: cool. about the push to develop these technologies, right? And I asked him, like, everything needs to happen properly. You need to do it right. Like, there's no margin for error in space mm. and you have to get the technology right. So if, if you're going to get it right for space, it's like, all right, well, I may as well get it right for everything else that we use this sort of technology, for example. Robotics yeah. is a big one. Yeah. Um, one. An exoskeleton they were using to help astronauts sort of get their bearings right. Ended up being good for paraplegics like that's yeah. that's being fed back in and something cool that's coming in years to come i saw on the interesting engineering um blog which was <laughs> fucking brilliant um but it's just like it baffles me the power tools i didn't know about the power tools one by the way <laughs>
1: yeah, i mean it's <laughs> pretty wild right imagine building something without power tools without yeah. uh, an electric screwdriver or an electric drill imagine that that wouldn't have happened if nasa wasn't thinking of finding ways to help their satellites i can't believe that can, yeah yeah crazy right brilliant yeah the 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 avenue of investment is is draining. And right now, we are in a point where we need to push forward. We need yeah. to accelerate it. Because we might find something that actually is so beneficial for society by accident. The number of times that accidental discoveries have happened just by researching the wrong thing. Like, Wi-Fi was be- built out of a CSIRO laboratory in Australia where they... All they were trying to do is trying to figure out ways you can communicate information over a certain radio length. And they went, all right, let's try this. We'll call it Wi-Fi. And all of a sudden, bang, name me a house that does not have Wi-Fi. You can go to the middle of somewhere, nowhere, and they have a Wi-Fi password on the wall. It's
0: necessary now. Like, you you need to have Wi-Fi. Like, a lot of our systems work off it. Do you Um, think
1: CSIRO and Australia's research laboratories are really peeved that their technology went and saved thousands and and has just paved the way of technology. You think they're really that, they're kind of annoyed they're probably not getting paid for it, but they're probably pretty happy that their research went to something so monumental yeah. that they they went for. That's what we can do. We don't know what the next Wi-Fi is, but investing in it is the way to go forward.
0: Hundred percent. And so like while we're on this topic, we'll go into now the launches that are coming up. Right. Yeah. Um, And there's three that stick out to me, and I don't know if you've got any that you wanted to bring up, but the first one, and there's less to talk about because it's actually confidential, it's happening tonight, so um, we're recording this on the 10th of December, and I think it's happening soon, is a secretive X37B (laughs) space. Clearly not that that secretive. (laughs) Well, the actual details of what they're doing is secretive, but obviously the front line um, isn't. The first time this launch will happen atop a Falcon-heavy rocket, So, Mm. like I said, highly classified reusable robotic spacecraft which can remain in orbit for very, very long periods, developed by Boeing in collaboration with the U.S. Space Force. It sounds, again, like something off a movie.
1: Yeah. I mean, the U.S. space, sorry. So, like, U.S. investment technology, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, Airbus, these guys have had really good contracts. I mean, the SR-71 Blackbird, that was part of Skunk Works. I mean, it's very incredible to see what most of the spacecraft come from these contracts. Um, did you know why, what the X stands for in terms of spacecraft? Like the F-35, what the F stands for. Oh, or the F? The AC-130, what the AC stands for.
0: Uh, no, I don't. Air conditioning?
1: <laughs> no. So um, the uh, designation, so AC is aerial and combat Um, F-35, so F stands for fighter pilot. Um, A stands for attack, sorry, AC-30. So attack and communications, I believe. So C-130 is an AWACS. So it it has the ability to do communication between a battlefield, but also has attack. So AC-130 has a gun on the side. So is, this, want,
0: is this just for all
1: what, uh, all or, planes? All okay, so
0: like um, but like no, not commercial planes. you know, he got like no, an A three thirty. I was no, going to no, no, say no, no. that's imagine, just Airbus. Imagine attack three thirty.
1: Yeah, yeah, that thing can. W- I actually, you can use it for attack. Let's not talk Let's, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. 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 But a, so A stands for attacks. AC one thirty was a like attack cargo. I think. I think no, my communications wrong. Where's are <laughs> under attack pressure, cargo? Here, bros? <laughs> F thirty five was a fighter pilot. A A tens, the Thunderbolts, are uh, ground attacks. A attack x stands for experimental so if you see x35 it means no one knows what it is oh. that's the whole point of it so like the um dark star at the start of top gun would be an x plane okay and then for a very long time it was the x35 they didn't call it the lightning they just called it the x35 because it was never launched until officially launched
0: i'd love to like predict what it's for but then i would be embarrassed if i'd get it wrong but then if i got it right i'd just be like
1: Mm. Huh. I don't know. I like the idea of experimental
0: aircraft. It it heralds something it's sexy for me. Like the idea of it's, a, it's testing. It's doing something that's in a almost a beta. Like it's doing something that no one's done before. Um, and yeah. in, in when you get beyond the stars, forget yeah. about it. Like
1: well, I think the space force is going to be low Earth orbit basing for a while because we just don't have a need to have an armed military force on the moon right yet. But there's an argument that. In 20, 30 years, it might have to be. And that's terrifying to me.
0: I don't want to think about that. So no, I'll go into something about. that's a bit more of a, uh, what's the word I'm trying to find? An optimistic view of what they're doing in the realm of space launch. Now, this mm-hmm. is actually happening atop the Vulcan Centaur. So on none of the um, rockets we've talked about today, but I did find it very interesting because it's happening in a few weeks. So on December 24th, Something called the Astrobotics Peregrine Lunar Lander is launching a mission to the to the moon. So, what it's going to carry is multiple experiments, scientific instruments, and tech demo payloads for NASA and other customers as well, which were non-disclosed. Mm. Um, we'll launch two prototype satellites for the Amazon Kuiper Broadband constellation. So again, something I haven't read into. I didn't know Amazon was looking into any of this stuff. A competition for Starlink. Yeah. 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 Um, it aims to demonstrate capabilities for future commercial lunar exploration commercial exploration on the lunar would be pretty cool yeah um so in terms of payload there's carrying 11 payloads now i'm not going to go through and name all of them because we're going to be here for ages mm-hmm. but three that stand out to me is and i'm not going to even spell the acronym out because i'm going to twist my tongue but first one is seal um what this will do is in- investigate the chemical response to the lunar regolith to the thermal physical and chemical disturbances which okay, generates doing... Yeah, so
1: let's explain that because that's probably a
0: bunch of words that people don't yeah, understand. I'm, I'm going to do that. So Not if, me, I understood that, but go on. So the lunar regolith is like generated by, I believe it's the exhaust gases when it's like landing onto the moon. That's regolith
1: like a, is the combination of the water and dirt on the bottom of the South No, pole. sorry,
0: you're right. Yeah, it's... The, I'm completely wrong I'm thinking of something else I yeah. think the regolith is actually underneath the, the first surface of the moon so right. before it gets to bedrock sorry i got my words mixed yeah, up yeah, you're thanks right. for pulling me up um, so how does the lunar regolith react to thermal physical and chemical disturbances during a landing so that's mm. one and then you've got something called pills um, so I'm sort of going to go so some are very similar to the other, but some are also very different. So I've gone to the ones that are very different. Pills is going to... You're going to find this one interesting. Um, used to test advanced high-voltage solar cells for future use of solar arrays on very long missions. So as we know, like the Mars um, rovers and the missions and stuff use like solar cells on their makes robots. Sense. And yeah. over time, they collect dust and, and they die. So I think they're now trying to... Okay, how do we overcome this problem? So, mm. that's really cool. I mean,
1: like we we you can watch it on The Martian. There is an atmosphere there. There's dirt on the the panels, but they're very easy to clean off. It's like a ninety one nine one tenth the atmosphere of Earth on Mars, right? So the amount of wind you get is very little, so you don't get them as dirty. So that's the one thing to point out. You don't get the derating rating or the dirt. Uh, sorry, it's called the soiling factor for PV. You yeah. lose 15% to, to dirt. You I don't could, get as that much. That could be
0: why those uh, robots lasted a lot longer than they thought they would. They for.
1: would last pretty well, but there's so many things that can go wrong. You have one dodgy wire and bang, whole system's out. Yeah. $150 million but out.
0: I remember when they were, I forget which rover it was on, which robot it was on Mars. They were saying this will only last a few years, and it ended up lasting like 20 years altogether. Could I'm
1: be so. curiosity. Uh, yeah. I'm not too sure, but yeah, it would be good to see. I mean, I saw the, have, uh, there was the Viper the viper one yeah. so that one's going to map the south pole of help map the south pole and then identify landing sites for future exploration for fuel uh, refineries which I, it's launching next year i don't, I don't know when but it's, i'm so
0: excited yeah um, and the third one it's doing is called nss which is the search for indications of water ice uh, near the lunar surface by measuring yeah. how much like sort of hydrogen bearing materials are on the landing site so I mean, to talk about anything with water and ice, I think you mentioned it before, you can use it to create fuel, like in the yeah. form of potentially hydrogen. Or- well,
1: like, yeah, the standard hi- f- fuel, I know for a fact on the uh, Blue Origin rockets, they're all hydrogen, which means they can be renewable. Um, yeah, if you could get, like, a nuclear reactor, a little SRM on onto the, the, the south pole, because there's no sun on the south pole of the moon... Um, you could create hydrogen in atmosphere, ready to go, and then yeah. launch a fucking rocket out to I don't know where. Realistically, Forever. a Mars a Mars mission will require a top up of fuel at the moon.
0: That's what I'm gonna say. It'd be like a, a pit stop on the way. Yeah, there, you so. have
1: to. There's no way. Like, oh man, I really want. I told you about this before. I really want to talk about this. How the Artemis mission, the the crewed Artemis mission, will go, and yeah. how many rockets it requires just to get that thing to to land. Um, I, maybe I could talk about that. Let, let's get into
0: that after this like third mm-hmm. launch I want to get into. So going back into the Falcon 9, we're talking about the im one mission which is am uh, stands for Intuitive Machines. So uh, it's got something called a Nova Sea Lander um, which will deliver five payloads, not 11, so less, um, to the service of the moon. So different experiments uh, again. So in terms of the last one was more about detection and response and whatnot this is more about autonomous navigation and also video and image data so the tool i'll talk about is one called lm1 which you pretty much demonstrate automatic driving of this automatic navigation around the the surface now I question is said so hang on a minute haven't all robots on mars been autonomous navigation surely they'd have to think for themselves and go around and when i looked it up it was like no so Previous navigation systems were sort of pre-programmed uh, or they were sent programmed with um, specific missions with specific coordinates and and all that sort of stuff. Whereas the LM-1 will be like precise um, positions, precise uh, positioning and navigation. Not sure of to, to the technology that they're using on... Um, but instead of having updates on the navigation, which previous systems use, this is all going to be continuous. Real-time mm. data, which space centers and stations will be able to get instantaneously. Whereas previously, didn't know this either. I was surprised. It was just based on updates. It was like you had to wait to get the position of where the crafts were.
1: Well, yeah. What you would do is, right, so you would have about an eight to nine minute delay because that's the the time it would take the Earth to get a something on the bandwidth to the... Mars. Yeah, depends where you where you are if the where Earth and Mars is, but it could be eight. It's eight minutes from light to reach from the Sun to Earth, and then I don't know what the time between. Yeah. Well, it could be a lot longer because we're not orbiting from the, from the Sun. Yeah. yeah, yeah, From from Earth to the Mars. So what you would do is you would see what the rover would be looking at. You'd say, "I oh, you need you go three meters to the right." You'd do it. Yeah. You would wait eight minutes. You would then see sixteen minutes later what would happen because it has to get to there, do the command, record, and send it back to you, right? And I so mean,
0: I, mean, I mean it wouldn't be eight like eight minutes, right? It could
1: be thirty minutes. Yeah. It could be way more. Because
0: like the signals wouldn't travel at the speed of light, it'd be a lot slower. No, than it'd
1: that. travel at the speed of light. There's right. nothing. there's not you e- like radiation travels at the speed of light. You change the frequency and the wavelength, but you always travel at the speed of light. That's a right, standard. Yeah. So you're always traveling speed of light. Okay. So even if, for example, you saw something, if say you saw like the moon base blow up. Like let's say there's a moon base, you see it, something's gone wrong, and you send a message. If someone was in the next room to it, it would take eight minutes for that message to be received to them. Yeah. Oh, no, actually, no, probably way, sorry. The moon to the earth is way closer, but you're like 30 seconds. But you would take 30 seconds for you to see it, to register it, then 30 seconds to you send a signal because it's so far away. That
0: was a fun fact. I honestly didn't know like signals and stuff on your phone and like I thought radio waves and stuff were a lot lot shorter. Cool. Um, But the second one is, and this is where I got confused with the term regolith, is the term plume. I hate mm. learning about all these terms in space. By the way, like I hate learning. you There's a lot of from. them, yeah. So plume is the jet of exhaust gases. Um, so I'm now going to talk about something called scalps, um, which actually uses oh, <laughs> a lot of fucking words here, man. Yeah. Um, the, well, this is this is the payload. The payload yep. will capture video and image data um, of the lander's plume, um, jet of exhaust gases as it starts to impact the lunar surface until the engine itself shuts off. So. Um, it actually utilizes Mars Rover's camera technology. So no, they're enough. sort of saying, all right, what did Mars Rover use? Let's use the same cameras. Obviously, they've got some good success rates on that. Using four cameras mounted, it gets about 84% of the surface underneath it as it's yeah. landing. So, I mean, Not it's many so. blind spots. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so this is crucial. So, like, what What I understand from all these payloads is You know, with the Artemis mission coming up, I think I made sort of a a prediction that they will want to have a space base in the future, similar to the base we've got down in um, Antarctica. The thing is, like, we understand the environment that we live in. Like, humans literally evolved here. We didn't evolve Mm -hmm. on the moon. So, my sort of take on speculation is they need to understand the environment on the moon as much as they can if they're going to actually get humans to stay there for a significant amount of time. And using all of these things together, all this information is what's going to, drive that outcome
1: yeah you don't want to make a calculation and then get it wrong and then have to spend another 150 million dollars to get to correct it yeah do it once do it right it makes it makes a lot of sense to get as much information as you can especially if you don't want to land like say 15 kilometers away from where the water should be that's a bit of a walk in space (laughs) to get Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so the the more information you have the better it'll be look i'll be honest they're moving as fast as they can Realistically, if they could move faster, they would. But this is the safest and correct approach to get there. Yeah,
0: I mean, this is happening. Any STEM-based industry, things are taking longer because there's more of an onus to get things right, make It's sure rocket it's science. It's very complex. Yeah, yeah. this is the not, most not just in this in the wrong yeah. rockets. Every everything that involves STEM is yeah. taking longer, and for a good reason. There's
1: probably a good reason why it's and done. I, I ways. think yeah.
0: what what they're gonna have um, eventually is some sort of a. Exact methodology of what they were going to do. It's like we are going to land here. We are going to harvest water from this exact spot here, which we will then use to produce hydrogen. Mm. By the way, this is for the sake of the argument. Like, but it will be that specific, and this is the sort of information they're going to need as an input. And I think this, in conjunction with the Artemis missions, um, is you know gonna be like the forefront of that. But you mentioned Artemis before about like yeah. the, how I didn't I did I don't like haven't looked into the Artemis three and Artemis two as much as we did Artemis one. So I'm yeah. keen to see why this now interlinks back into that. Because these this they're very different missions but for the same overall holistic purpose. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So Artemis is is the US bank on it's their it's their The card up the sleeve, I guess, for their space race, right? So they're trying to really get that one to take off. And there's a few things that really need to go right for it. And realistically, the one that's going to hold them back is Starship. Starship is by far the biggest spaceship probably ever built, highest payload, and has to be the chariot that takes them there. Because there's nothing bigger, they, they need it. And to get the Artemis three to land on the moon, it requires three launches of a spacecraft, three different launches in close proximity to get one, like one person on the moon. Realistically, I, I think it's like eight or twelve. Yeah. Anyways, the so the way they're trying to do it is you have two spaceships and then the ISS module, so which is the one that carries the people. So you get a spaceship, one of the sorry, a Starship to launch and go gets rid of its um, stage one, and you've got now a, a fully uh, cargo-ready Starship, which has no fuel in it, just out outer space, and it just sits there.
0: So how do they get that cargo into space?
1: With the launch. It launches Starship. So from, from a
0: separate launcher?
1: No. So Starship launch is a yeah. two-stage rocket. Yeah. You go up, you get rid of stage one, and yeah. that's the booster rocket oh, goes so away. So that,
0: that cargo is what's, what you... So the cargo back. is what yeah.
1: you leave in outer space, and then the other rocket returns. So the stage one yeah. returns. You then launch a different starship with a, with a stage one up into outer space. Yep. That gets rid of a stage one. So now you get two starships in outer space. One is full of cargo. One is full of extra fuel. You okay. then put all the fuel from the second starship into the first starship, yep. fill that bad boy up, and then you and then the
0: now empty shell um, of Starship 2 returns to Earth and lands. So at this point, they have made something and timed it such that the coordinates of the two, yes, like bits of
1: yeah. So kit. realistically, the first starship has to launch, go around the planet, and then meet up with a new one that's launching. So the the, the mathematics here is is incredibly makes difficult. Makes me grit my teeth, right? Yeah. And so the, the idea behind it, even with hundred, hundred thousand tons, sorry, yeah, hundred thousand tons of cargo, you can't get both cargo and fuel for a spaceship that could launch and then return from Moon with people in it. And so they needed to do it twice. So effectively, now you've got a fully ready, fully fueled up Starship in low Earth orbit, ready to go. You still don't have any people on it. So this is completely without a person on board. Yeah. And so then you launch the ISS. Uh, sorry, the, um, the oh, I forgot the name of the actual spaceship. But the, um, the third rocket, which isn't a SpaceX rocket, it'll launch up. It'll get rid of it, Stage one, stage two. And now you just have a little capsule um, of people inside it. That will then dock. Lock on to the starship that's still in low Earth orbit. That will then fly out and go to the moon. It'll then land the Wait, same
0: way. Dock up with the starship. Isn't the starship the rocket that's already landed? So the
1: starship's in low Earth orbit. Okay. A very small capsule from the third rocket will then lock on to the first starship that's now fueled up with cargo. Yeah. That will then go to the moon. Right. Okay. And that will land the entire thing. That will then land on the moon. It, everyone will get out oh no it, sorry oh my god this is this is how complex it is yeah. it then jettisons the 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 pod from the third rocket ship that was attached to the first starship that just goes around the moon a little bit so just imagine right now there's two starships well, sorry two spaceships one starship that's landing on the moon with the people in it one of the actual escape module that they'll then that was from the third starship that's just going around <laughs> the moon it is very complex it'll then land They'll do their samples to set up the hab. Yeah. They'll then launch back off that the first Starship. It'll then redock with the uh, third Starship's module, crew yeah. module. They'll go back to Earth. They'll then jettison the first Starship that had the fuel and the cargo. They'll, they'll be gone and they'll be trashed. And then they'll land with a satellite and so, uh, with with uh, parachutes in the ocean somewhere. Yeah, and, and guess- that is how complex it is, and that's how e- that is the easiest way to do it.
0: Yeah, and my question, <laughs> my my question is, and this might make it simpler for people to understand. Um, and we don't have to answer it right now, but why don't they do all this in a single launch, right? Why don't they put all the weight in a single launch as opposed to three separate ones when you have to go through all of this effort to do it?
1: You just can't. The the amount of fuel required to do it in a single is difficult. Even if you got it better, you still need two. Yeah. You still need to have one, one Starship to launch up with the crew inside it now and another one to launch up and refuel in outer space.
0: Because, I mean, we're talking about the Starship could carry... What was the mass of payloads? It was like 11, 110,000 kilograms of 100,000
1: tons, Hundred thousand. sorry, 100, kilos, yeah. 100 tons or 100,000 kilos per per launch that you okay. can carry.
0: So the sum of everything on those stray obviously exceeds that. And is that? Is it's
1: 5,000 tons is the space starships ships with oh, its br- thruster.
0: Okay. So that's, it's, it's simply because it cannot. It's
1: a one to 50 payload to weight ratio. Yeah
0: so effectively like to summarize what you're saying and correct me if i'm wrong because i this is all new to me and i'm trying to mm-hmm. put it all together no it's fair it's, i realize i don't I have a full <laughs> grasp of it as well so like we're, we're launching three separate ones right to get into low earth orbit so we can get them successfully there with the right, right amount of fuel ratios, so it's not yep. too heavy once those three combine we then have enough fuel to get it from low earth orbit to the next level which is obviously high earth orbit well no say. you just get to the moon get At it that point, to space yeah At that, so you're, you you've got it past some sort of I guess escape velocity. Like that once you're in
1: low Earth orbit, you're in there. That's you're in there, that yeah. you can now be in a an orbit. It's not geosynchronous, but you can be in an orbit where you don't fall out yeah. unless you want to, or you take you wait a long time.
0: Yeah. Okay. So three big dogs. Yeah. Getting the three littler dogs into a place where then they can go successfully to the moon.
1: Yeah, that's one way to
0: say. It. Let, yeah. yeah. You can do it with
1: two, but they said let's just try it with three because it's easier with three. Easier.
0: But I think the main part is. All of those three rockets will land back on Earth and be be ready for the next.
1: No, one, one. of the, the first Starship, the one that took them to the Moon and back, will crash. Okay, they expect that. They they only they're not going to put heat shielding on it because it's too too heavy.
0: Ah, uh, right.
1: So right, so they have to make it as light as possible. So it's designed to get up, but not designed to get back. Okay. So the the mod the crew module on the third rocket that goes up that docks with the first Starship that goes to the Moon comes back. That one will protect the crew and get them safe, and they'll land. And I mean, this is the way they used to do it. Realistically, this is how they had to do it. Um, but this is a way that most of the rocket ships. So the thruster on one, two, and the the second starship can return back yeah. to Earth. They are reusable. But the other ones are all gone. So the the actual first starship on the first one, gone. And yeah. then the rockets on the third star sh- on the third rocket ship are gone. Yeah. Except for the crew module that comes back. But they won't reuse that. You, and then A, and bit, then of what, a yeah. bit of a fun fact, the, why, the reason they call it the um, the, falc, the, the dragon oh, modules, yeah. the, the dragon crew modules, which is being used to resupply the ISS, is because it's named after Puff the Magic Dragon because uh. everyone told him he couldn't do it. And he goes, well, fuck off, Puff the Magic Dragon, is going to do it. <laughs> Anyways, that's, uh, that's why it's named Puff. Oh, the, the dragon, sorry.
0: Jesus. And then, yeah, and obviously then it's set up to come back to Earth from the moon, right? Mm. Much less escape velocity. It does like a loop around the moon and then once it gets back into earth's orbit i've always wondered how when it gets back into earth's atmosphere like it gets so hot and it burns up something i've never looked into is how it successfully lands back without pretty much exploding and humans get back safely
1: it's it's a very complex idea i mean the soyuz capsule does it as well but effectively it creates a heat shield which makes a barrier of ionizing energy that blocks um around the surface so as these things come back to earth you don't know if they're alive or not there's about a 10-minute window where you don't know if they're alive because you can't get communications to them they can't get communications to you. And all of a sudden, they break atmosphere and you hear, yeah, we're okay, or you hear nothing. That's terrifying to me, but that's the that's the wait.
0: I hope the NASA crew have a good uh, stress leave package in there. Yeah. yeah,
1: I know. I'm sure they have like a few, f- a few weeks of vacation saved up by the <laughs> time they get
0: back. Okay, so now that two nerds have enjoyed a hard-on, let's go back and talk about what this means for humans right Mm. my argument is we're spending a lot of money on this but relatively we're not we've we can agree on that but it's still a lot of money for something that people might not see the benefit straight away of are you playing devil's advocate here or something i am i am the devil advocate here um in in a way like it's 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 right like an average sort of person would be like what, what does space mean for me i know what healthcare means to me i know what education means to me i don't know what like i know personally but as an average Mm. person i don't know what space means but but there's a lot of things that it actually can help with Mm. um and we'll go back into like the geopolitical side of it the space the space race and whatnot but i think we've spoken about this a lot but the technological advancements um driving innovation in material science robotics computer Mm. technology um, you mentioned the power like, thing. I didn't know the power tools. Being, power tools, yeah. Exoskeletons to help paraplegics, LED lights, some water purification system, which I didn't know until recently, mm. were because they got to purify water for space. Like this is again coming to you have to make sure things are right. So we've made it right for space. Let's just use the same kit back yeah. on Earth. Like um, economic growth, for example, like um, this, this one might be up for discussion, but I think we'll create more jobs in the future. Like we're talking about, again, reusable spacecraft, which you can you know, do a lot more missions. I think, I'm not, I don't know the exact number, but you're probably talking about, let's say for argument's sake, if you could do like one mission a month, maybe now you can do 10, you can do 20 missions a month because, you know, it's not as Mm. expensive to do. So if we're going to do more missions, let's create more jobs, let's get more people working in the space field. Um, You know, so global cooperation. So this is something where we can both play devil's advocate. My take on this is, is I think if we're in a space race, we're already... 10 steps back. I think the world needs to be together on this, right? There is, in my opinion, a common goal we're trying to achieve. If I'm looking at the missions China are doing and I'm looking at the missions that we're doing, they're both mirroring each other. Mm. There's a common goal. Why don't, why don't they just co- collaborate and cooperate? Like-
1: I mean, there's, why don't governments today cooperate? Why do we have war? I mean, these are questions that have a very similar answer. We shouldn't. But yeah. we do. Why don't we cooperate? Okay. <laughs> yeah. why, don't you, why aren't you friendly with your neighbor across the street? There's a lot of reasons of why things are the way they are. Yeah. Um, the space race has, I mean, space race also was such a good way for two superpowers to really prove their power, their economic strength without shooting a bullet, Yeah. which I, I like the idea of. And the amount of technology that came from that period was second to none. I mean, we've never seen such an advancement in technology ever. Even today, Without all the research that we're putting into it, it's a fucking fraction of what the speed and change was then. Um, I would love to see a universe where we can share. We yeah. are, I don't want to claim it as a one-world government, but realistically, no, no. if it's- we could be on the same team, if it could be human, the human race against something... Like a human race together against something against a common yeah. goal that would be the goal
0: because like i guess the reason like f- things like wars and arguments and all that stuff happen is two people have a different vested interest whatever but in the context of space the outcome is is the same you're exploring things that mm. we don't know what we do with what we explore that might be a different conversation right that might mm. be where things start getting a bit complicated but we're currently at the phase of of getting there and there's only one way to get there um, overall um so I, I agree with you. I think while well, it wouldn't be a one world government, it'd be that sort of coexistence and cooperation where mm. if we can collaborate, it, it it would sort of drive peace. Like for example, if you and a mate if you're not a mate, if but if you and someone else hated each other, right, for whatever reason. Mm. Um and then you're just like, Okay, we now have to both do this for each other, we gotta partner up and collaborate. You're probably gonna be mates after. Oh, that was fun, I know I hated you before, but whatever. Yeah.
1: I mean, if you can convince the world that a common goal is worthwhile, that's brilliant. Realistically, SpaceX, for all the faults of Elon Musk, and let's not pretend that there's none, there are a lot, it has inspired a generation of people to look at the stars. Ad Astra is the the is yeah. the, the phrase they use. Uh, NASA uses it, so does SpaceX. It means to stars, to the stars. Yeah. It is a call to... To, to travel the universe. In the game Starfield, the current ra- the group that you're with is just a bunch of explorers. In the olden times, back when maps weren't complete, they had a phrase called Here Be Dragons. Here be dragons was why they drew dragons and sea serpents on maps, because they didn't know it was out there. It inspired yeah. people to look. Right now there are dragons out there and we don't know them. Let's go look at them.
0: So would you agree if I say where We're now in the the early exploration phase that would have been happening between like the 1400s to the 1800s, but this will happen over a much, much longer time frame.
1: I mean, it could also happen over a quicker time frame too. We don't know what technology can become.
0: Become tomorrow, yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean, right now we have a fairly good understanding of Newtonian physics. We've stepped into relativity. We have a moderately, we have a working understanding. Then we're starting to touch on quantum and that can transcend time and space. We know it. We've seen it. So if we're just a soul system or if we're now bouncing around the world, it is a very interesting place to be. Yeah. And we won't know until we open that box. And the, good I mean, thing,
0: the good thing about space exploration is we don't have to worry about invading anything. Like it's just, Everything's vacant. So we can just go and have a look. And Well, vacant yeah. is depending. Do we know it's vacant? <laughs> That's the question.
1: The definition of what humanity civilization is, is we're very, very early in the evolutionary step. We haven't even conquered the energy around the sun, let alone outside our own galaxy. What if something is out there and just goes, we'll wait till they're mature enough for us to tell them the truth. Could that could imagine, happen.
0: Could you imagine if we get out, we get onto Mars, we start developing stuff and they just go, right, now's the time to to go and show them what's... Again,
1: if the oce- if the stars were the ocean, we've explored a glass. Yeah. So we don't know. Anything's possible.